as always, I'd like to just say a thank you to Brandon and the worship team and just um, how they've led us so well today. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, <laughs> we missed you. Uh, thank you. Uh, but um, we understand the, the process, right? And um, sometimes you just got to follow the process. And that's what we've done. Um, you know, what's interesting is, you know, this is, yes, this is my candidating weekend. But this is my 15th time that I've, <laughs> that I've preached. So if you don't know my preaching by now, you don't know my preaching. So but that, that was the process. That's how it worked out. That's how God worked it out. And we, we believe that uh, he has had his hand on this all along from day one. Amen. Amen. So it's, it's really good to be back with you. I, I wanted to, uh, to share something with you kind of before I get into, um, you know, the actual, the, the actual message. Uh, and it has to, do with, has to do with Father's Day. I came across this uh, little thing on, I think it was on Facebook. I don't know. Probably on Facebook. Uh, and it's just this picture of words. And it said, men, get up, go to church, sit in front, lift your hands in gratitude, worship, pray, give, listen, take notes, respond, celebrate, lead your family, be strong, be a man. And I read that and I thought, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. But what really touched my heart when I read that is that was my dad. That is, that is my dad. Uh, my dad, he, he was that for me all my life. Um, and, and you guys don't, don't know him, don't have the privilege of knowing him. Um, actually, Brother Majeski and Jeanette, they do. <laughs> but because uh, they've known, they, those two have known me longer than Barbie has. <laughs> so don't listen to anything they say about me. <laughs> Especially Brother Majeski, because you never know what he's going to tell you. But, uh, yeah, my, my dad was that. Like, all through my life, he was that. I, uh, I, I remember as a little, a little boy standing next to him in church and, and watching him raise his hand when, when he was singing and tears going down his face. And I remember uh, seeing him pray at his bedside, seeing him pray at his chair, uh, sitting, in his, sitting at his antique desk. And studying for hours upon hours for his Sunday school lesson, because he was a teacher in Sunday school, and uh, you know. And then years later, I actually had the opportunity to work where my dad worked when I was a kid. And what was neat was there was a few people that still worked there when he was there, and they said to me, "Your dad was a real deal." They said, "Your dad." I never heard your dad. They'd say things like. You know, everybody else would be mad. Your dad would be so calm. Never heard your dad use foul, foul language. You know, they would just tell me all kinds of things. Your dad was a, a man of integrity. And I'll tell you what, that was really awesome to hear. You know, because sometimes you see it at church and you see it at home, but then you wonder, is it going on other places as well? And it needs to be going on other places as well, right? We need to be the same everywhere. But... Um, I just want to say, because I know my dad will probably watch this, because he watches our, our services, and uh, I just want to say, um, happy Father's Day, Dad, and I love you. You've been a great example for me, and um, I hope that I can be that. I hope I have been that, and I can continue to be that. He's been a great example for the grandkids, and we have grandkids on the way. So I want to be a great example for my grandkids as well. So, so happy Father's Day to everyone uh, who's a father who, like Doug said, has a father's heart. has helped people and fathered people. You should feel honored and respected today. You know, music, uh, I think you know this about me so far. Uh, you know, from the time we've been together, uh, music's meaningful to me. Music is very meaningful to me. I, I love worship. I love worship music. I love to be able to sing God's praises. Music is powerful. It really is. It's powerful. 
And, and I was reading, actually, I was reading um, a, a magazine called Voice of the Martyrs. Anybody ever heard of that? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. I was reading this magazine called Voice of the Martyrs uh, the other day. And there was a story in there about a man in, in southern Mexico that actually got saved listening to Christian music. He gave his life to the Lord listening to Christian music. He then led his whole family to salvation. And so his whole family, you know, got saved and, and, and it really stemmed from Christian music. It really stemmed from hearing, him hearing the message because there's a message in it, right? If we're really paying attention, there's a great message in the music that we're singing. Music is powerful. It's, it's worship. It, and it's not just worship, it's ministry. That's why when, when we refer to someone who leads, such as Brandon, we refer to them as a music minister, a worship minister, a worship leader. They're ministering. Music is ministry. And so when people are uh, singing or hearing music, they're actually hearing the message of Jesus in music, and it's powerful. And you get to, to sing the message of music, and you get to, uh, to use music as testimony. Maybe some of you this morning, as you were singing those words, you were thinking about how, Lord, I need you. <laughs> That's testimony, right? It's testimony. And so these songs that we sing are important, and, and it may, um, and it, when you come to church on Sunday, it may not be the sermon that resonates with you, that maybe is exactly what you need, but maybe it's a song, maybe it's the music, maybe you came and that particular song that day is what touched your heart and maybe gave you peace. Or maybe gave you that courage that you needed. Music, music is powerful. And that kind of leads me into our scripture text today. Uh, it's found in Acts chapter 16. And so we're going to read quite a bit of this. It's, it's lengthy, but it's so good. It's so, so good. And uh, I'm going to ask if you're able to stand with me as we read through this scripture. Because we're going to read actually... Uh, from 16 through 40. Um, and then I'm going to share with you kind of a little bit more detail about that story I read from Voice of the Martyrs. Um, so here it says uh, in Acts 16, 16 through 40, uh, this is about Paul and Silas in prison. Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. 
The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God and his entire household. When the daylight came, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released. So come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens, and threw us in jail. And now they're going to send us away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them, and escorting them from prison, they urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house, where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters, and departed. Amen. Maybe seated. Thank you. Thank you for standing with me. Now, this man that I was reading about in Voice of the Martyrs, he, uh, he actually um, led his family in salvation. And because of this man's faith and his family's faith, their indigenous community opposed them. They decided, this, their community decided that they were not going to support them or, or do anything for them. And so the community refused them basic needs. They refused them uh, drinking water. They refused their children to go to school. They actually then also refused uh, the, this man work so that he could not make a living and support his family. And, and they did all this. And, and so these people were actually being persecuted for their faith. That is really what the Voice of the Martyrs magazine is all about. It is talking about people all over the world who are being persecuted for their faith. And so they're being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And amid the hostility that they face, they continue they continue to share God's love to their community. They continue to tell the people around them about Jesus. Amidst all of the, the adversity, amidst all the difficulty, they're still telling people about Jesus. They're still ministering for Jesus and in Jesus' name. And I wonder, it didn't say this in the article, but I wonder if it is not through music. <laughs> because music touched his heart. And I wonder if they use music in the same way. That takes us to what we just read. Um, Paul and Silas in jail, singing. Singing and making melody in their hearts, right? This is Paul's first trip to Philippi. It seems that he only made two trips. Uh, and, and he and Silas were on their way uh, to prayer as this slave girl who had a spirit, not the spirit of God, a spirit of of divination, a spirit that allowed her to fortune tell. A spirit uh, uh, was within the slave girl, and she started following them and crying out. And, and really what it kind of indicates in the scripture, that crying out kind of indicates that she was saying this loudly over and over again, following them everywhere they went, saying loudly over and over again uh, that these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. These men, you see what I'm saying? And this went on for, the scripture says, many days. Now, I don't know about you, but if it went on around me for many minutes, <laughs> I'd be tired of it. This went on for many, the scripture said this went on for many days. And I think that we could all admit that we would be annoyed. Anybody, will you admit that you would be annoyed? I would definitely be annoyed. I would definitely be annoyed. And the scripture tells us that Paul was greatly annoyed. 
It uses the word greatly, okay? He was greatly annoyed. And so when he uh, finally reacts, he turns um, and, and actually... Can we, can we just at least do this? Turn to whoever's sitting next to you. Let's give Paul this, okay? Let's give Paul this. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can't blame him. And say, I would be too. Amen. Amen. So Paul reacts. And, and, but before we... Uh, before we think that he just reacts in annoyance, before we think that he just finally got so ridiculously annoyed that he just kind of blew up and reacted, before we do that, can we uh, just understand that as Paul reacted, that I really believe and I propose to you that Paul's reaction was very calculated. The reason I say that is because it took many days for him to react. I believe that he showed immense patience here, like an immense amount of patience. I believe that he showed a tremendous amount of patience. I believe Paul's reaction was well thought out, and I dare say that Paul's reaction may have even been a directive of the Holy Spirit. And, and I say that because uh, here's, what, here's what I would have been tempted to do in the same circumstance. That's what I like to do with Scripture. I like to try to put myself in their shoes. I think it's really nice to be able to do that because I think we're all human and we need to remember they're human too. You know, we're, re we're reading about human beings that have the same feelings and the same thoughts and the same aggravations that we have as well. And so as I put myself in their shoes, as I put myself in Paul and Silas's shoes, I think that I would have turned and said, would you just stop it? You're yelling in my ear. Nobody does that. You know, I mean, come on, go haunt somebody else, Casper. You know, I mean, I would probably be so annoyed. And my reaction, I think, would be pretty immediate. Like, you know, you've got to stop because you're making me really mad. Many days this went on. So I believe that in this time, Paul was talking to the Lord. He was seeking God's guidance. He was asking God for patience. And I believe when he did finally address her, that it was a directive of the Holy Spirit. I think that's important. So he didn't do any of what I just said that I would be tempted to do. He actually freed her. He actually freed her. His reaction was actually one of compassion. His reaction was actually one that would not only point her to Jesus, but then also the people around who were observers of what was going on, his reaction would be pointing them to Jesus as well. His reaction was to speak to the Spirit. Notice that. Notice that. He didn't tell her to get lost, right? He didn't tell her that he was sick of her, that he was annoyed with her. He didn't address her like she was the problem. He addressed the spirit within her. He addressed the issue that she was dealing with. He addressed the thing that had her captive, the thing that enslaved her. And as he addressed that spirit, he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now, that's really important for us because sometimes there's people around us that are dealing with stuff. They're dealing with whatever. They're dealing with something that's got them enslaved or, you know, just, you know, it's, it's really caused them to not be who they are. And we've got to be careful, right, when we're dealing with people. We've got to be careful that we don't make them feel like we want them to go away. Right? That's really important. We want them to feel like we care about them, truly, truly care about them, love them. Paul's reaction was not to send her away, but to send the spirit that enslaved her away. He loved that young lady. 
He cared about that young lady. He had compassion on that young lady. So she was free to the spirit that enslaved her. One thing that is important here is that exorcists back in that day, back in that time, would attempt to invoke a higher spirit to evict a lower spirit. And so when dealing with someone like this, an exorcist would come in and try to figure out a higher spirit that would be able to have a, a dominion over the lower spirit that enslaved this young lady. But that's not what Paul did. He didn't like try to figure out what spirit he could call upon, <laughs> did he? You see, when Paul commands the spirit, he commands the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. He was making a powerful statement to her and to the people who were present. He was telling the people that there was no doubt as to who he was calling upon, that Jesus was the answer, right? Jesus is the answer. And so uh, it's really interesting because in this time period in Philippi where he was at, uh, there would have been people who uh, they would have believed that there was a God of the Jews. But the God of the Jews, they wouldn't have identified the God of the Jews the way that they really needed to. They would have thought of the God of the Jews as, hey, this powerful God, maybe it's Zeus. You know, maybe it's Apollos. Maybe they would have been thinking that the God of the Jews is one of their gods, one of their many gods that they served, that they worshiped, which was very powerful. But they would really have no idea who it was or which one. Paul brings it down to who it is. He said, you don't have to wonder who this God is. It's Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins. And so he commands the spirit in the name of Jesus. And so check this out. Paul was sending a very clear message that Jesus was sovereign, that Jesus has ultimate authority. There, there, nothing and, and no one has jurisdiction over Jesus. And so Paul demonstrates the dominion of Jesus. He helps the, the, the young lady and those around understand that Jesus is all-powerful. That Jesus is the one that we can come to regardless of whatever the issue is, whatever the problem may be, we can go to Jesus and he's the answer. That is what Paul is really communicating to her and the others. And it's really powerful. And I even, I even think that Paul maybe, I, I think that Paul was maybe even aware that as he did this, the trouble that it was going to incur. In fact, I believe that, you know, and, and just put yourself in, in their shoes. There's Paul, or Silas, they're walking around, the young lady's back there, she's shouting, and Paul turns around to her, and as he turns around, Silas goes, oh no. Because they both get it. They both understand that if, if Paul does anything here with this, that it's going to cause some trouble. And Paul says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And I think Silas said, well, here we go. Here we go. At this point, Paul and Silas were taken by the owners of this slave girl and brought before the authorities. Now, I'd ask the question, why? Uh, if you ask the, the owners why, uh, they were actually lying. <laughs> They said, well, they're disturbing the peace, right? They're disturbing the peace. Uh, what else did they say? They, these Jews are doing things and saying things that us Romans don't believe. So they made it kind of a race thing. They made it kind of a, you know, a race thing with, uh, you know, the different religions. But really, what was it really? Money. It was money. All right, let's do this again. <laughs> Turn to, your, turn to your neighbor there, the person next to you, and just and say this. The love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah. You know, it's not money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. These slave owners, that's what they were, these slave owners were using this young lady. They were using her. It's gross. It's terrible. And these, these slave owners were using this young lady because 
of money, profit. And when they saw that she had lost her power to give them, they, they thought, we just lost our cash cow. We just lost our money supply. And they were ticked off. They were so mad at that. They, they didn't really care that, the, that Paul and Silas were Jews. They didn't really care that they were disturbing the peace. They were mad that now their money flow was going to be taken away from them. So what did they do? They stirred up the crowd. They, they, they helped the crowd to believe that there was a, a reason to be against these people. The, the whole crowd was turned against Paul and Silas, and they were stripped of their clothes. Now, this isn't perfectly clear whether they were completely naked or not. It seems like that's what happened. I don't know. But they were stripped of their clothes. They were beaten with rods. And then it says flogged, so it makes it sound like that that was two different things, that they were beaten with rods and flogged and thrown into prison. Now, I want you to, uh, to understand that I believe the story has been interesting already. You agree? But now is when it gets really interesting. Like, it gets more interesting as we go, right? Because as they were thrown into prison, it, it, some things happened. The jailer was instructed to uh, watch them carefully, to, to make sure that he guarded them carefully. And so in his mind, what that meant to him is, I need to put them into the inner prison. Now, the inner prison was a terrible place. You can imagine first century prison, not a good place to be. Right? I mean, you can make a case that prison nowadays would be like a resort compared to first century prison. But first century prison, bad place. Okay? We can just say that. That's, that's easy. The prison's inner jail was the harshest place in the prison. It was the harshest place in the prison. It was degrading. It was the darkest. It was the least ventilated place in the jail. In this inner place, there was most often excessive heat, uh, dehydration, the spread of sickness. And what they had in the inner prison was these things that they called stocks. And they were wooden stocks, and they were on the floor. And they would take the people who were in the inner prison, and they would put them on the floor and fasten their legs and feet to the floor with these inner stocks. Are we getting the picture of how terrible this is? Miserable place. But about midnight, the scripture tells us that Paul and Silas were praying and singing psalms to God. After all of this, they were praying and singing. Paul and Silas were praising God in chains. They were singing and making melody in their hearts to the Lord. Amidst all the difficulty of life, they decided that God still deserved their praise. I want to say that again because that's really important for us. Because there isn't any single one of us here this morning that hasn't had difficulty in life. Right? Maybe some of you are right in the middle of it today. But show of hands, go ahead, you can raise your hand. Have you ever had some difficulty? Every hand better go up. Come on. For sure we've had difficulty. So praising God in that difficulty is a decision. It's a decision. They made a decision that God was still worthy of their praise regardless of their circumstance. That's pretty good. You can write that down. You might need it later. Right? We all probably will need it later. Uh, if, you, if you have your Bible, you can flip over to Philippians uh, 3.10. Philippians 3.10. Uh, the book of Philippians written by Paul. 
And it was written by Paul probably 10-ish years later after this circumstance that we're reading about. Okay. What's interesting is when he wrote Philippians, he was in jail again. Good old Paul, he spent a lot of time in jail for the, all the right reasons, for all the right reasons. But he was in jail in Rome when he wrote Philippians. And so isn't it interesting that as he writes these words, I believe that he's maybe even thinking about uh, that time back in Philippi with Paul and with, with Silas and how they spent that, that night in jail. But this is what he says in Philippians 3.10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Now, I wanted to read that to you because, because here's the thing. Um, I, I, believe that, I believe that as Paul was in prison with Silas, and he, he was thinking about the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus. So they were taken to the inner prison. Why? Was it because they were dangerous people? Were they so dangerous that they had to be confined to the inner prison? Was it dangerous to allow them on the streets? Not really. No way. They weren't dangerous. They were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and yet they were treated like the most dangerous criminal, right? Who else was treated like a very dangerous criminal? Jesus, yeah. Yeah, Jesus was treated the same. I mean, you know, we look at the way that Jesus was treated. We, we, we read in, in Holy Week a lot of times, we read through all of that and how he was arrested and put in chains and, and carried from one trial to the next, mock trials, not, not real good trial, not, not real trials, um, spit upon, beaten, uh, flogged. I mean, he was treated like he was the worst and most dangerous. And I, and I really believe that as Paul and Silas was sitting in that prison and they had been flogged and their backs were bleeding and, and they were miserable and they were bruised up and they had probably been mocked and spit upon and all of that probably took place as the rods were being uh, used on them and, and all the flogging took place. And I believe that as they sat there, I believe Paul was thinking, thank you, Lord for the opportunity to be treated like you were treated. Wow. What? But isn't that what he's talking about? To experience the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus. It's really amazing. But but I want you to take I want to I want you to to just come back with me to uh, understanding what they were going through and putting ourselves in their shoes. What would be the temptation? Wouldn't the temptation be to lament the situation? God, why is this happening to me? Anybody ever said that? God, why is this happening? Why, why am I going through this? Why am I dealing with this? Why, why is this difficulty upon me? Why am I having to go through such hard times? We, we're doing your work. We were out there telling people about you. We were sharing the good news. We were out there doing what you called us to do. We just freed that slave girl. Lord, did you see us free that slave girl? Did you see the work that we were doing? We just converted Lydia. If you go back into chapter 16, go a little earlier, it's a great uh, story about the conversion of Lydia. And, and, and I can imagine them just thinking, you know what, I just don't understand what's going on here. We're faithful to you. And here's the thing. And we can't do your work in this prison. <laughs> right? God, we can't do your work in, when all this difficulty is going on in our lives. We can't do what you want us to do when we're dealing with all this junk. Right? Yet that isn't what we see them doing, is it? In fact, their actions are a contradiction to that last statement. 
let's imagine though, let's, because we have to imagine it. Let's imagine that Paul and Silas um, reacted that way. That they couldn't do God's work in, in prison. And they just complained. They just decided, I'm just going to sit here in the stocks with my back bleeding and I'm just going to have a good complaint session. Right? And they just complained. They decided to tell the other prisoners how they were mistreated. They decided to tell the other prisoners, you know what? We didn't have a trial. And we're Romans. We have Roman citizenship. And they didn't even give us a trial. Boy, you just wait. And they just sat there and they just figured out how to complain. And they told the other prisoners that they were trying to serve God, but they got arrested. And now they're in this miserable situation. And it, it's all just stinks. And what effect would that have on those other prisoners? They wouldn't want what Paul and Silas have. Right? If they had that mindset, if they had that attitude, what would Paul and Silas have done when the earthquake took place? We're out the door, right? We're out the door. I mean, we're set free. Stocks break loose, chains fall off, doors fly open. We're sprinting out the door. We're getting out of that place, right? But we have to imagine such things because the reality is they began to sing praises to God. They began to praise the Lord. They began to pray and praise God and sing his praises. They began to pour their heart out to God. They began to do God's work in the inner prison, right? They began to do God's work in their difficulty. And I don't think their prayers were for freedom. I don't think they were, I don't think they were sitting there saying, God, send an earthquake. <laughs> I mean, how are you going to get out of prison? But an earthquake, right? Send an earthquake. <laughs> I don't think they were praying for their freedom. I don't think they were trying to figure out how they could get out. I believe their prayers were for praise and adoration. I believe their prayers were for God to use them for his glory right where they were in that inner jail. Now check this out. The last phrase of verse 25 says, and the prisoners, what, what does it say? Were listening to them, right? The prisoners were listening to them. Oh boy. Do you know that in your difficult times, that those around you are listening to you? What's interesting is this. Those around you may be going through the same thing. And you're setting an example of how to deal with that thing. Because they're listening to you. These prisoners were listening to them. And, and may I say that I believe also the jailer was listening to them. <laughs> They heard them saying, they heard them praying, they heard them praising. And I believe when they heard them praying, they heard them praying, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings in our life. Thank you for taking care of us when they were beating us with those rods. Thank you for dying on the cross in our place. Thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to be in this place with these people who need you. Help us to have a grateful heart. You are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You are good. You are kind. You are patient with us, your servants. Your grace is amazing. Paul was like, yeah, God, you know what? I was like putting people in jails like this when I was persecuting your church. And now you, you gave me the opportunity to sit in one of these jails that I was putting people in. I have now got to experience what I was doing to others. Thank you, God, for that experience because that helps me understand how rotten I really was and what you saved me from. Right? I believe it. God, you are... Your love is unstoppable. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us first. You know, can you imagine them just praying these kinds of prayers? 
just lifting up glory to God, praising God, thanking him for things, thanking him for blessings. And the prisoners are listening and they're going, what are they doing? Don't they realize they're bleeding? And then I don't know what they were saying. But let's just imagine they were saying, God is so good, right? God is so good, right? God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. He answers began to quake and the chains fell off I love it because there's this earthquake and they're ready they're ready for the earthquake not ready to sprint out the door but ready to minister <laughs> you see I think sometimes we we get confused with how God is answering prayer we need to understand that sometimes God's answering prayer not so much for us, but for the people around us. See, because when the earthquake and the, and the stocks came loose and the chains fell off and the doors flew open, Paul was like, wait, 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 wait. We got ministry to do here. And they were ready because the way they handled the difficulty they were ready to minister to the people who had been listening. Let me end with a story. Many years ago, I worked at a place, and some of you heard this from yesterday. I uh, shared that I went from factory to factory for a little while. And uh, I worked at a place many years ago. It was called uh, Progressive Foam, foam Products. The reason I em emphasize foam is because I, when I started working there, I thought it was phone. I thought we were going to make phones, but it's uh, <laughs> not what it was about. We were, <laughs> we were making foam underlayment for vinyl siding. That's what we were doing. And I started working there, and... Uh, and I, I started uh, working on the production line, and I just, I just worked my tail off. You know, I, I was working hard. I was giving everything I got. And they started promoting me and giving me raises and promoting me. And pretty soon I was a machine operator. I was operating a machine and uh, actually kind of leading a crew and, and just really, you know, doing all of that. And uh, the, came, the time came that they, they brought me into the office and they said, you know, we're really happy with what you've been doing. We're really uh, excited about what we see in you. And, and what we want to do is we want to give you your own shift. And we want you to work second shift. Uh, first of all, you know, I was just, I was very grateful that they thought of me that way. I, I thought, man, that's, that's fantastic. Well, here's the issue, though. At the time, we had been working with the youth at Bars Mill Church of God. And we were the youth leaders. And Wednesday nights was our big night. That was our big night. That's, that was the time that we were, we were ministering to the youth. We were pouring our hearts into them. We were, we were just, you know, helping them understand the word of God and just, like, you know, really digging into their lives. And, it, and there was a lot of times that we went to their ball games and we went to different events that they had in the evenings. And I thought, you know what, if I take this position, it takes me out all that. And I remember I, you know, I came home to Barbie and I told her and I said, I, don't, I just don't think I can do it. I don't think God wants me to do that. And so I went back to him and I said, I'm sorry, I, you know, I, can't, I can't do that. I have to decline. 
it ticked them off. <laughs> it made them mad. They, they, they really got upset with me. And they got so upset with me that they, they not only uh, didn't give me any kind of promotion, they demoted me. They put me in the beanbag chair place. Okay, because the byproduct of the foam, like the stuff we didn't use was ground up, put in these huge vats with chutes, and we would just take them and we would open the chute, fill a beanbag chair, uh, close the chute, zip the bag, solder the, the, the zipper, and throw it in a pile. All day long. All day long. They put me there. And I want to tell you, I was upset. I was upset. I, I you know, I, I had a hard time with that. And I went over there and I was complaining. I, I was mad. I was angry. I was annoyed. It was so boring. I, and I would complain all day long. I would do this all day long and complain and just, you know, I was upset. And I'd come home to Barbie and I'd complain to her. She probably got sick and tired of hearing it because I would just get so upset and complain and complain and complain because I was mad because they took me out of where I was and something I was good at and put me over, over in this other place that was, I, it was just ridiculous. And I remember I went to church one Sunday and, and the pastor preached a message and he preached about uh, having joy in difficult circumstances. And that the joy that we have is a testimony to people around us. And man, was I convicted of that. Woo, was I convicted of that. I went to the altar. I went to the altar that Sunday, and I prayed, God, help me, because I know I haven't been doing what I should be doing. I went back to work that following Monday, and I was the best beanbag <laughs> chair filler they had ever seen. I was telling the crew, I was saying, come on, guys, let's, let's, let's set records today. And, and we were setting records. Like we were, we had beanbags, so they were everywhere. I mean, they didn't know where to put the beanbags we were making because we had, so they, they were opening up trucks and we were throwing them in the back of semi-trailers because they didn't have anywhere to put them. And I was singing and I was, and I was telling, you know, everybody how they, it's good what we're doing and we're doing something. Yeah, I was just a different person. And you see, people would listen. People would listen. And I even had some of them say, what? <laughs> what changed in you? What, what in the world? And it gave me opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Right? Right? Someone Maybe many someones here today are going through difficulty. It's your inner prison. And, and it's your opportunity to pre prepare your heart to minister to those who are listening. It is your opportunity to minister to those who are listening because whether you realize it or not, a lot of times we don't realize it, they are listening. They are paying attention. It is time. It is time to pray and sing and get your heart ready to tell others about the Jesus that walks right into the inner prison with you. Because he never leaves us or forsakes us, right? He's with us everywhere we go. The Spirit of God was right in there with Paul and Silas, right in that inner prison. And I believe the way they were able to praise him and celebrate and, and, and show that they were grateful in their heart was because they sensed the presence of God. And maybe this morning you need to sense the presence of God as you're in your inner prison. Because your song may just be the song that someone needs to hear to bring them to Jesus. Stand with me. Lord God, as we as we have read about Paul and Silas, it's it's been eye opening. Eye opening and uh, and certainly um, 
certainly convicting to a degree that, that these two could be so full of your spirit and praising you and thanking you and singing your praise in the condition that they were in. And, it, and the reason that it's eye-opening for us is because, it, Lord, every single one of us are either in a difficult situation, have been in a difficult situation, or will be in a difficult situation. That inner prison is, is there for us, or maybe it's coming our way. And it is, Lord, not something that we need to look at as a curse, but, Lord, as an opportunity. Because when we get there, when that moment in time comes, there will be people all around us who are listening. They will be watching. And Lord, for us to be able to handle this like Paul and Silas, that is our prayer. That is our heart's desire. We want to be able to handle it like they handled it because we want to be able to point people and lead people to you, Jesus. Just like they led that jailer and his family to you, we want to be able to do that too to the people who are listening to us. May they hear your song on our lips. May they see, Lord, the gratefulness in our heart and understand, Lord, that we serve a God that goes with us wherever we go, whether it's on the mountaintop or if it's in the low valley, that you are faithful and we can trust you. Lord, bless those especially this morning, bless those that are in that inner prison today. Encourage their heart. Help them, Lord, to hear your voice, sense your presence. Put a song in their heart that will come out of their mouth. That they may have a testimony to the people that are watching and listening. And that they may see you work in their lives. Bless us today. And as we sing this song, may our hearts be full of praise and full of the gratefulness, Lord, that we have for you and all that you've done for us. We give you glory, praise, and honor this morning. In Jesus' name. of this life I won't turn back I know you are near and I will 